Good evening. It's very nice for us uh, to be back with you tonight. We uh, really appreciated the warm welcome we got this morning and a little respite from Indy who got to run about with the boys and girls in the morning. It was really, really good for Indy. Um, initially, when I was invited to come here, I wasn't meant to preach in the morning. Um, sadly, because of the news of Ross, he needed someone to fill in and uh, Jim asked if I would. But initially, what happened was that I was working for the Scottish School of Christian Mission uh, in Glasgow, still am, uh, and I've been networking for them, um, raising awareness of some of the courses that they have, uh, and Ergy Baptist were on my list of churches to contact, uh, and Ross responded, uh, and we got together and we chatted about the college um, and about some of those courses. Um, and off the back of that, he invited me to come along and speak tonight. Um, based on some of the things we were discussing, he said, you know, you could talk about your, what you guys are doing. You could talk about the college or you could preach a sermon. Um, and I said, well, I'll do a kind of mixture of the three, probably. Um, and so if it, was, if it was a sermon I was doing tonight, I would be calling it, what does God want you to do? If it was a motivational Christian talk, I would call it, what does God want you to do? Uh, so so it's, they're both the same in a way. Um, so does anyone know what God wants you to do? What was that? What he tells us. There you go. <laughs> okay, uh, what does he tell us? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. There you are. Yeah, okay. And we could pick out lots of, of scriptures that, are, that really fundamentally sum up what God asks us to do. Um, the Ten Commandments would be, you know, perhaps one of the, the, the more guiding kind of laws, the basic laws that God would ask us to obey. Um, maybe for fun we could see how many of you know. Uh, so, what, what Ten Commandments do you know? What should you not do? Okay. Yep, aha, uh -huh, of course. I mean, you've got to think about the, your neighbor's fatted calf and all these things as well. Uh, and fortunately, God has removed the temptation for us today because we don't have neighbors with fatted calves anymore, things like that. Okay, well, let me just uh, remind you of, of how this was written, how God revealed this to Moses. Uh, and he says, and God spoke all these words. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you, brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Fortunately, he changed that, so we don't have to worry about that, uh, thanks to Jesus. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Fortunately, he's kept that commitment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Just a little pointer there, I think a lot of people just assume that what we're talking about there is when people say JC or uh, GS or any other misuse of Jesus' name, but there are people who do things in the name of the Lord. Uh, that, sh that would be what we're talking about here as well, misusing God's name. 
doing something sinful or wrong that God did not ask you to do or does not teach us to do and saying that God told us to. Uh, often like a lot of sects and cults or, or people who liberalize the Scripture and say that it's not reliable. That is misusing Christ's name just the same as someone saying, G.C. off the tongue. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Very hard for us to keep that one today, especially if you're employment and retail or anything that requires you working on a Sunday. Um, but, you know, it still stands that God wants us to chill out and relax one day a week. Uh, honor your father and your mother. <laughs> That's easy sometimes and really difficult other times. It depends on your parents uh, and it depends on you and how you're feeling at the time. So that you may live long in the land your Lord, your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not cover your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So, I don't know how often we read the Ten Commandments, I don't read them very often, but there you go, that's the things that God, top ten, for, does, God doesn't actually say these are my top ten commandments, by the way, that's something we named it later on, the Ten Commandments. And there are a lot more laws around it, but what we can say is that God really is, if you want to look at the law of the Old Testament and what God revealed to His people in Israel, these were the ten things that held it all together. All the other like cleansing laws and sacrifices all point to these ten. You could completely disregard the Ten Commandments if you really wanted. If you, did, if you didn't have the Ten Commandments, there's one verse in Micah chapter 6 that I think if we were to obey, we would probably fulfill the Ten Commandments. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord have require, of, require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. As we try and explore what it means to act justly, honestly, and sincerely before God, you probably find that the Ten Commandments would just be natural. You wouldn't do these things. Um, to love mercy, if we genuinely explored what the meaning of mercy was and tried to act mercifully, then we would have people who loved their neighbor as they loved themselves. We would not covet, we would not murder or steal or talk badly about people. Uh, and if we walked humbly with our God and we were sincere about trying to do that, then again, it would be very, very difficult for us to break the Ten Commandments because we're being just, merciful, and humble. And then, as you said, Jesus in the New Testament, jumping forward, Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the Ten Commandments are the law. Micah is a prophet. Anything that was written in the prophets, anything that was written in the law, Deuteronomy, Judges, all these different things, they are fulfilled in those two simple commandments. So if anyone says, I don't know what God wants me to do, we need to point them to the Bible and to just these very simple instructions. In the past, my own past, I always struggled to try and know as much as I possibly could and felt a huge burden to change the world as a young Christian. And in the end, it actually put me down to the pit 
because I feel, oh, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, I need to try this, I need to try that, I need to fix this, I need to fix that. Things that I just could not fix. But when you focus on the simplicity of Christ's words here, the burden is lifted. You're not sitting thinking about lists of legalism. Oh, I didn't do this today, or I didn't do that today. You're really just focusing on walking in love and mercy and humility, loving your neighbor and trying to love God. And the good thing about it is God knows that our love will always be tainted. It will always be ineffectual, <laughs> you know, fully, fully effectual. It will always be less than what He deserves and requires. And the love that I show to Lindsay is never going to be the love that she deserves. And the love that Lindsay shows me will never be the love that I deserve, and so on and so forth. No matter whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a brother or a cousin or whether it's nations, we will never, even with our best intentions, provide each other with perfect love. God knows this. But what He wants is for us to just try, to try and love, to try and love our neighbor, to try and love Him, to try and understand Him. As I preached this morning, to meditate on His law day and night, to spend time with Him. And as I shared this morning, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you want to be like Him, the more you will be comforted. So, it really is simple what God wants us to do, to love, to love Him, to love others. If you want more detailed, um, you know, kind of do's and don'ts, then they are provided, and, and they can be helpful. I mean, there are things in life where it's not, you're not sure what the right thing to do is. Uh, and, you know, Paul is, is very good at saying Galatians and Ephesians, but I'm going to read from Galatians. And he says, um, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You know, not, not to be tied up with the law and legalism and you didn't do this and you didn't that. Ho holding each other account accountable through judgment. You know, that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to call, hold each other accountable through love, kindness, mercy, generosity. That when we correct our brother and sister, that we do it through love for their sake as well as ours and the people affected. So we're called to be free. But it does say, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So, like I was also saying this morning, when people, uh, you know, are saved and then they just go and do whatever they want, that, that's clearly not what we're meant to do. And I would, I, as I said this morning, would question anyone who gets saved and then just doesn't care what God thinks afterwards. So, Paul's saying, don't, you know, just do what you think. And, you know, it's not freedom to do what you want without consequence. He says, rather serve one another humbly in love. There's humility again, love again. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Here's Paul talking about the very one that you shared. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite, I love this passage. Paul is, I just think Paul was so gifted. I mean, it's so, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, just spend, go on holiday with your friends or something like that for a week, share an apartment with somebody. At the end of the week, you start to bite and devour each other, you know? The more time you spend with people in a church, the more you get to know each other's kind of problems and the things that irritate you, and, and, it, and it can be difficult. And, and Paul knows this. When you put a bunch of people together, especially Christians who come from all walks of life, different backgrounds, and we're all meant to be on the same page going, yeah, we all love Jesus, and we're all deeply in love with one another, and this is great. And actually, it's a lot harder than that. It can be very difficult. Uh, there can be politics in churches and things like that. So Paul's warning is against that. It's like, look, don't devour each other. You'll end up hurt. 
Uh, and your church, your community, your relationships can be really deeply affected by that. So what does he say? Does he say, well, okay, here's a big list. Well, first of all, he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's that great thing that God did for us, amazing thing that God did for us. It says, you're no longer under the law like the Jews were in Israel before Christ. You don't have to look at the list of things you've not done. You just have to walk by the Spirit, submit to Christ, accept Christ, follow His leading, His guidance. But he does also say, obviously, again, because the problem was there's been lots of sects and Gnosticism and different things throughout history that have looked at this thing, this walking by the Spirit, and have completely disregarded the law, as in, well, we don't need it. You know, and Paul, again, is countering this when he says, but the acts of, flesh, of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, that is <laughs> a bizarre list of things. There are things in that list that you don't even like saying in public, things that people do in secret that you don't want to talk about. But there are also things in there that people openly do uh, that we, we are all guilty of. Uh, jealousy at times. I find, I find it hard to believe uh, a person that says they've never had a moment, even a moment of jealousy in their life. Fits of rage, that doesn't, not everyone, but certain personality types, I've had fits of rage. Uh, dissensions, falling outs, arguments. You know, that stuff is right in there with orgies and witchcraft. You know, so it's kind of like Paul saying, well, walk by the Spirit, love, humility, mercy, kindness, gentleness, all these things. But remember that even these little things that we consider, you know, not so bad, God considers them on a par with all the other heavy stuff that we don't like to talk about. It then goes on to say, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such thing there is no law. And you, I'm sure you'll know, if you've been a Christian and trying to follow Christ, you will know the feeling you get when you've had one of those days where you really feel that God has used you, that you felt you've had some victories in your, in your walk, that you've had an opportunity to practice your self-control or your generosity or your gentleness. And the reward is incredible. That sense of being able to go to sleep at night and talk to God and say, God, thank you. Thank you that this wasn't a day where I'm having to come to you and repent because I had a fit of rage or I was nasty or I didn't hold the door for that person because I was like, whatever, you know, and you're bugged by it, you know. There's no law against doing these things. And so when you don't break the law, you're not afraid when the police go by, you know. If you hear the police kind of pulling up outside and there's someone in here <laughs> that's recently broken into a shop, in the back of their mind they're going, uh-oh, are the police coming in? But if you've not committed any crime, then you don't fear the sound of the police. 
And so Paul is saying there's no, no, no law against this stuff. And the great reward and benefit of committing these good things of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is that it feels good. Have you ever heard of somebody saying, oh, they only give it to charity because it makes them feel good? <laughs> Come on. You know? So what? You really, is God saying do the right thing but be miserable about it? Not a chance. When Jesus did the right thing, he knew he was at peace with his Father. And he always did the right thing, so he was always at peace with his Father. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's having this kind of, oh, could you take it from me? There was no sense of, you know, division between Christ and the Father. And so there is nothing wrong with reaping the rewards of doing good. We can't treat ourselves too harshly and say, well, I've sinned, therefore I must, you know, really beat myself up about this before God. But when you do the right thing, not feel good about it at all and just be like, oh, I need to be really somber and really, really, well, you know, that, that's not humility. That's not allowing yourself the freedom of a relationship with Jesus Christ who wants to share in the joy of you walking with Him and in step with Him. Since we live by the Spirit, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What does God want us to do? All of this still comes back to love your God and love each other. Now, what about the day-to-day? -day? What does God want you to do or you to do or you to do individually? Well, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-12, it's written, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, uh, for your, you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. You know, I don't need to tell you that, basically. Almost like you might be sitting thinking, we know this, Stuart. You know, what are you telling us this for? It's always good to hear it again. Uh, the Word of God is always worthy of hearing again and again. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your life, your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. The writer of Thessalonians, probably Paul, does not write this to the Corinthians. He doesn't write it to the Galatians or the Ephesians. He writes it to the Thessalonians live a quiet life, most likely because of the situation that they were in. Loud Christians, Christians living out loud, was maybe not the best thing for the Thessalonians. Perhaps the best way to minister to the people of Thessalonica was to live a quiet life, and I'm sure it would be much appreciated in North Lanarkshire, the history of mining, as we were talking about, uh, and all the kind of hard labor and the working-class spirit of North Lanarkshire, in fact, the whole central belt of which I belong. Uh, my parents are both governites, you know, um, and so it, that kind of thing is appreciated. You know, if, if, if a Christian works hard and keeps himself to themselves and doesn't, uh, is a good neighbor, these kind of things, they can be great witnesses. But we have to note that that was written to Thessalonica. That is not the message, live a quiet life and just go on with your work. That's not what we're called to do all the time. That's not what every single person is called to do. These are all instructions. They're all guidance and wisdom for our daily lives, no matter where we are or what we do. But 
we have to be specific. When Christ saved you, He saved you because He loved you. When you gave your life to Christ, you gave your life to Christ because you believed in Him and what He has done for you and what He can do for you, let's be honest. We knew that He could save us. And when we are saved, we experience the love and the joy, as the psalmist says, as David says in Psalm 51, uh, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we experience that joy of our salvation, our response was, what can we do back? And we respond in worship and praise and singing songs like, I am a new creation, no more condemnation. Praise the Lord, you are amazing. We worship you, we adore you. What can I do to help you, God? What can I do? So what does God want you to do? What is He telling you? Who are the people you are to bless? Who are you to serve? Who should you share the gospel with? And how does He want you to do that? What gifts have you been given that you should use? All Christians should ask those questions of themselves. Why? Not because I'm telling you that if you don't, you're bad, but because you will benefit greatly from being able to fulfill the potential that God has put in you, that you will be living the call that God has put on your life. I don't know you individually. I can't tell you exactly what God wants you to do, but I can tell you a little bit of my story and a little bit of Lindsay and I's story together. I became a Christian when I was became, I love that, became. I mean, as we do become, we become Christians, but it's almost like a magician. I became a Christian. But I became a Christian when I was 16 years old, uh, you know, kind of messing about as a teenager and was interested in drugs and alcohol and the Beatles and Pink Floyd, and I wanted to leave school and live in a wigwam and take acid for the rest of my life. Uh, that never worked out. Jesus saved me. He brought me out of that moronic, uh, empty life that was leading nowhere, and He saved me and set me free. And really, I'm just giving you a, a flavor. Now, after that, I, was a, I became a very committed, very devout Christian, very evangelical, um, you know, quit everything and was so focused and became quite well known back in the day in the Baptist Union as someone that, you know, was involved in missions teams and, and the youth assemblies and all these kind of things. And, uh, and, you know, I was doing that for a good few years. And then I decided I was going to pursue the call that God put in my life uh, to be in ministry or missionary work or youth work, whatever it was he was calling to me, uh, calling me to. So I went to Glasgow Uni, which is a very liberal, uh, basically a secular uh, university that delivers theological education. It is where uh, the majority of West, West of Scotland, Church of Scotland, people will go to become a Church of Scotland minister. And I did find Christians and devout Christians within there, but what I was taught was very liberal and my faith was challenged. I was also doing too much, and so on and so forth. And the big story, long story short, I had a crisis. I had a crisis, and I ended up having a bit of a breakdown, and I had struggled with depression. And I struggled with depression all through my 20s. But what was really severe and significant about that was that for a good time, I really turned my back on God. Really. Like, to the point where I was His enemy. Vehemently against Him. Um, but at the same time, I still knew He was my God, and I struggled, and I knew I was not happy. I struggled with depression and self-harm, and I returned to drugs and alcohol and recreational lifestyle and was never, ever happy throughout the whole time. But at the same time, God kept pulling me back and pulling me back. I'd go down and I'd be back, down and back, down and back, down and back. 
And part of the reason for that was that I never actually committed to the diagnosis of depression. I always just thought, oh, uh, and so I never really dealt with it. So no matter how much I tried, you know, praying and so on and so forth, because of a chemical imbalance or because of thought processes or whatever it is that causes depression, I was never going to get free without doing the work that God knew I had to do to get myself free. Praise the Lord, He was faithful, as He is with His children, faithful to me. And He kept bringing me back, bringing me back, bringing me back. And all through that, people could still say, people who have met me over the last 10, 15 years, that I was still used to bless them. Isn't that incredible? That even at your lowest point, even at your most sinful, God can use you. If God can use Pharaoh for His purposes, He's going to use one of His children who's kind of going a bit wayward to, for His purposes. Now, one of the things that I was passionate about and explored and at that time was music. Music helped me. And the music that I like is very varied. Uh, as a first music I get into would be techno. You know, hardcore techno from the west of Scotland and, and from Edinburgh, hardcore techno. And then it was into the Beatles and it was Pink Floyd and it, and it was mod music like the, face, the small faces and, and all these kind of the who and stuff like that. Uh, but I've also been into jazz, I've also been into classical, I've been into all sorts of music. But the one community that I've always felt somewhat associated with or connection with is the punk community, if there is such a thing. But the punk mentality. People who have an alternative view of the world. People that don't fit in to the mainstream view of things. People that find the X Factor repellent that find the mainstream music and the charts, the, the things that we're supposed to like and that we're told to like, they find it repugnant and, and they don't like it. Uh, they, they, they just don't connect. They feel different. And my whole life as a Christian, I have felt different. I felt like a Christian between a rock and a hard place. Never felt totally at home in certain church circles, but never ever felt at home in the world because I know that I'm called. I know that I'm saved. I know that God wants me to serve. Is this about judgment? No. It's not about saying that I don't fit in because I'm better. It was just a fact that God had put a restlessness in me, that I'd seen things that the church in Scotland perhaps were not doing as effectively as they could be. Just as people, when we begin our ministry, could look and say, Stuart and Lindsay aren't really doing very well at reaching that group. Good. If you see the gap, fill it. If there's anything in the church, in the Christian world, that you see that you think there's a gap, that it's not being filled, that there are people in your community that are not being reached, God might be calling you. God put something in my heart. People who self-harm, people who wear black makeup, <laughs> you know, and listen to goth music and are depressed or self-harm, people that embrace punk and, and people that have embraced this new atheism and think they're so clever and hate the church. These are the people that I want to reach. These are the people that I love and hate at the same time. They're the enemy of the church, but the people I feel God has called Lindsay and I too. I can't tell you Lindsay's whole story, but I can tell you that Lindsay was saved completely out of the blue like a miracle. She didn't, wasn't raised in the church. Her only experience of church was six months in a Catholic church where she was told that she had to sit in the back because she was a Protestant. So her experience of church was not a good one. 
But she always knew that God exists. Her mum had some faith, but it wasn't a church-going experience. And God, when Lindsay was at her lowest, when, God, when Lindsay decided that evolution was completely true, and that because evolution is true, the Bible can't be true, God doesn't exist, it was the most bleak experience that she ever had. And yet, at one point, she cried out to God, do something, challenging him, and he did. A couple of months later, something like that. Sitting in a room, she just looked, looked over a lamp, bing, Holy Spirit, saved. Bizarre stuff. So Lindsay comes from the culture that I have always loved as a Christian. Lindsay and I met in that culture. I was in a punk comedy band, two Christians and two people that weren't Christians, and we had some moderate success, but we were surrounded by punks and goths and people who thought they were too cool and still think they're too cool for everybody else. Uh, and, you know, it, oh, Pink Floyd, they're great, you know, but, you know, like Fleetwood Mac, well, yeah, they're kind of acceptable. You know, like they're really picky and snobby about music and culture and what's cool and what's not cool. It's where Lindsay came from. It's what I was involved in. And so when I explained to Lindsay this vision that I had, which was given to me in the year 2000, it clicked. And because Lindsay had no experience of church other than the church that she came along to with me, a Baptist church, she was like, well, I don't know what church is meant to be, so why can't we do this? Why can't we create a church for those people? Why can't we? And so that's where we're about to, to venture into. Now, some people might say, well, you know, what's wrong with the churches? There's nothing wrong with the churches as they are. There's lots wrong with every church, but there's nothing wrong with people expressing their faith and having their community the way Airdrie do or the way our church in Scotland down the road does. We're all called to express our faith in our community of Jesus Christ as God leads us. So we have decided to call our church scum of the earth, church. And some people, thought, as I said this morning, oh, what's that about? Well, it's right there in Scripture. And it's to try and counter, well, it's not to try and do anything. It's just simply because we are friends with and have a relationship with and will be a sister church to scum of the earth church, Denver. The vision's not taken from them, but the name is. And they happily say, call your church, your church scum of the earth if you want. It was either that or church for misfits. But we thought scum would be better because you just say scum as opposed to church for misfits. And then people come along and say, well, you're not a misfit. So how does that, you know, we don't want to get into that. We're not trying to be cool. The, the scripture, as much as it might put a message that seems controversial, it's actually to keep Lindsay and I and the people who are in our leadership with us humble. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes this about the apostles. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We believe, and been confirmed by other Christians, it's not just a, hey, we're going to go and start a church. It's been a long drawn-out process. We will be part of a recognized mainstream Christian missionary organization called Communitas, which was Christian Associates. We are in relationship with Scum of the Earth Denver, which has a good reputation. We have Christians around us, we people, Christians in shots who are from Calvary churches. We have friends in Baptist churches. We're not just doing this on our own, but we believe, and has been confirmed by our friends, that we have been given a trust that we've been entrusted with this call to try and reach these people. 
I have no idea how successful it's going to be. We're just doing it. What do you want? How are we going to do it, God? And he said, I'll tell you that as you go along. Just start. Meet in pubs. Go to where they are. Put on shows. Figure it out. Use word of mouth. These people need to hear the message of Jesus Christ, and they're not going to walk in to the churches in the street. They're not going to go to a special event put on as an outreach that plays Christian music, which sounds like Coldplay, because they hate Coldplay. They're not going to go to a Christian event where the guy looks like he would be presenting the one show, because they don't like the one show. So go and be all things to all men. Be something to them that they understand. So we believe we've been entrusted to do that and that we must prove faithful. And I'll jump towards where Paul says, it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Lindsay and I are not putting ourselves on a pedestal alongside Paul and the apostles. Wow. If we could be like the apostles willing to be stoned, <laughs> and not in the, the way that stones used these days, willing to be stoned, put to death, put in prison, shipwrecked, then great. If that's where God wants to lead Lindsay and I, homelessness, depending on other people to support us and working hard with our, our jobs and different things to try and make the message known to other people, then we will do that. The scum of the earth named us two things. It keeps Lindsay and I humble. It reminds us, never get ahead of yourself. God will ask you to do things that you don't want to do. You might have to spend time places you don't want to be. You might have to spend less time with each other than you would like to because you're ministering to other people. You might have to go to pubs that you don't want to go into because you're not comfortable there, but you're going there because I'm sending you. That's what that scripture does for us. That's what that name does for us. But the other thing it does is that it paints a new door. It's the same door, but it's a different coat of paint on that door that Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. The door that you went through, there was a door that you recognized. You might say, well, it wasn't. But whatever was that got you to Christ, it was a door. God painted the door, or someone painted the door in such a way that you would go, I like that door, I want to go through it. Lindsay and I are not going to lie to people and say, oh, come through into the church because it's full of goth music and punk and so on and so forth. That's not what it's about. But if there's a door that's attractive to them, that isn't the doors that the church at the moment are currently presenting to the world, then that is good. Because it means that people will be more likely to take a step closer to Jesus Christ. That is what Lindsay and I feel we're being called to do. It might sound like I'm making it pomp and ceremony, but it's really simple. People have called it a pioneer ministry, a fresh expression. It's really not. It's really just saying, how do we love God? 
And how do we love our neighbor? And what is it that God's asked us to do through that? If God has put something on your heart, like a people group, or even something in Energy Baptist that you think, well, maybe, you know, Jim could be doing maybe help with that, then God's speaking to you. Maybe if it's like, you know, well, ah, I keep going past that uh, cafe and I always see folk in there and like, I'm not judging them, but they look a bit worse for wear. Like, I wonder how, do, how can we reach those people? You don't have to know, but if God's put something in your heart, He's called you. Explore that call, no matter whether you're 8, 80, 90, because it could just be God's put something on your heart to pray for. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself as best you can. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, we all need it. And we all need each other to help each other through. And please, no one sit here thinking, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. You might be doing it. Don't feel like you've got to be all, all uncomfortable and, oh, what's God telling me to do? You could be doing it. But it's a good question to ask. Because when you start to do what God wants you to do, you reap the reward. Not material benefit. Not more money. Not promotions and all these different things. In fact, you'll probably get a lot, a lot of rubbish. And since we've started planning, church planting and outreach and mission, we've had a lot of difficult things. Some would call it spiritual warfare. Some would just call it the things of life. But since we've started to step out and make these steps forward, it has brought strain and struggle to our life. But what it's also brought is, is fulfillment, a sense that we are doing what we were made to do. I hope that every single person in here tonight will experience that and feel that. Maybe you've not felt that for a long time. Doesn't mean it's gone. Just means reconnect with Jesus, love God, love your neighbor, and he'll show you what to do. I would love to chat with you afterwards. Um, that is the end of the message. May it be a blessing to you, and if you have questions, please feel free to come and ask Lindsay and I. Thank you.